Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. In particular, tonight's episode includes violence against children. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. As always, I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and tonight I'll be presenting two stories, both by newcomers to the show. We'll begin with Shackled and Chained by Jackson Arthur. Our protagonist, Gabe, wakes up in a situation that is far from ideal. He doesn't know where he is, how he got there, or how long he's been there. Oh, and I forgot to mention that he's in a dark stone cell chained to the wall. As Gabe struggles to understand and escape his predicament, he slowly learns why he's there and what is in there with him. Following that is The Legend of Cold Rock Keep by J.G. Martin. Cold Rock Keep is a lighthouse on a small island, but it's not just any lighthouse. In the days prior to the lighthouse's construction, many a ship met its demise on that rocky coastline, and the numbers have actually increased since then. Now, having recently lost a loved one to that treacherous shoreline, our protagonist sets out to solve the riddle of Cold Rock Keep, even though he knows that the legends point to something unnatural. 
Finally, providing a guest appearance tonight is voice actress Rissa Montañez, who has provided two exceptional performances for The Legend of Cold Rock Keep. Please join me in welcoming her back to the show. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to help support Horror Hill and also remove these pesky ads, head to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. You'll get instant access to hundreds of ad-free stories, and we can scale back some of our uh, less savory means of generating money for the show. By the way, you wouldn't happen to still have all of your organs, would you? And now, from author Jackson Arthur, I give you Shackled and Chained. The darkness confused him. Gabe couldn't remember losing consciousness, yet he was regaining it. Wherever he had existed prior to waking up must have been an empty void, black and nothing else, because there was no memory of it, not even a fleeting, dissolving dream. And the moment that he re-entered the world from whatever dreamless sleep had somehow taken him, questions immediately bombarded his mind. Where was he? How did he get here? After managing to slide open a pair of heavy eyelids, Gabe realized that he was in a dark room, one consisting of stone and earth. It was less of a room and more of a cave with grey rock walls and a dirt floor. The oval cave was maybe twenty yards around, give or take a yard, and a single source of light fell into the room through the window of a wooden door. Gabe peered over at the door. It was quite large and built into the stone wall of the opposite side of the cave. It was dark red and appeared thick and solid. The window in the door was a small rectangle through which a column of yellow light poured, there didn't appear to be any glass in the window, only a row of horizontal steel bars. The door seemed not to have a knob or handle of any kind either, at least not on his side of it. The light shining through the horizontal bars wasn't solid like from an electrical bulb, but fluid as if from a flame of some sort. Hello? Gabe called out weakly. None of it made any sense. It was like rousing from sleep, only to find yourself entering into a nightmare. Hello? He said again, not entirely sure if he expected an answer. What made even less sense was the fact that he was not lying down or standing up, but instead he was kneeling, his knees planted against the dirt floor. There was a heavy chill that filled the cave and seeped down deep into him. The cold poured into Gabe's muscles and filled his bones, making him tremble. Struggling to move his shaking body, Gabe slowly climbed to his feet. The effort left him winded and with a swirling head, but he managed to stay upright. Both of his arms hung down in front of him, bound together at their wrists by a pair of medieval-style metal shackles. The shackles were connected to a thick steel chain. Gabe twisted around and followed the chain to find that it was connected to the stone wall behind him. Fuck! Taking several steps toward the wooden door, Gabe pulled the thick chain until it was taut and he couldn't pull it any further. He then yanked as hard as he could. Once. Twice. There was no use. The chain was not coming free of the wall. Giving the chain one final frantic yank, Gabe pulled as hard as he could. A sharp, tearing pain carved its way through the muscles of his shoulders and forced a guttural scream from his lungs. The scream echoed against the rocks and multiplied into a macabre chorus of pain and fear. He was a prisoner. But how? Why? Gabe tried to remember, but found his thoughts fractured. He attempted to focus, but it was difficult to think clearly. What was the last thing he recalled? Where had he been before waking up? 
baby. It's a baby. Like a confused, annoying rooster, the baby was awake again and screaming before the sun even began to peek out from the horizon. Before the day even began to shine, Gabe's precious baby boy was filling the two-story home with the loudest screeching a small body could produce, making sure that both of his parents were fully awake along with him. And Gabe was fully awake, whether he wanted to be or not. He knew that once the crying began, it wouldn't stop for a very long time. It didn't matter if the baby was fed and clean and should otherwise be content, because nothing seemed to make the boy happy or quiet. The screeching would go on and on. Gabe stood in the doorway of the master bedroom, dressed in black sweatpants and a black t-shirt. For a minute or two, he silently watched his wife as she desperately tried to comfort their child. Shelly, blonde. She was still technically young, but the last couple of months had aged her immensely. A white nightgown clung to a thick body that had once been thin and tight. Giving birth to their little bundle of joy had taken a toll on her perky form. Stretched skin and ugly scars had taken over her once flawless flesh. I'm going to take the dog for a run, Gabe told her, knowing that the need for a run had nothing to do with the dog. I'm going to try giving our son a warm bath, she replied, giving him the usual glare, but Gabe ignored it and turned away. The crying was like sharp daggers to his brain, and he needed to get out of the house or risk losing even more of his sanity. A run alongside the ocean might clear away the screaming from his mind and give him a chance to regret his life choices. Gabe had never wanted a wife or a child, but he accidentally fell into both. Everything just happened so fast. Too fast for him to have corrected the course or halted it altogether. And mistakes are like snowballs. As long as they keep rolling, they only get bigger. Leaving them behind, Gabe rushed downstairs to retrieve the dog. Their dog, Roscoe, was a hyperactive palm and was always up for going outside, and it didn't take much convincing to get the little guy on board. With the little dog circling his ankles, Gabe rushed out of the back door and into the cool air. The chill instantly felt good against his skin, creating goosebumps along his arms and at the back of his neck. It gave him a little more energy, and he could feel his mind beginning to clear already. A long and narrow stretch of empty beach, where swimmers and surfers and even boaters were forbidden, sat several yards from the rear of the house. Gabe broke into a steady jog as soon as his sneakers hit the sand. He always enjoyed the emptiness and isolation of that stretch of beach because he could be all alone with his thoughts. Hopefully, the gentle waves beating against the shore could soothe him. But then, Roscoe barked. Not barked. The little dog howled at something further up the beach. But what... Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else, so finding the perfect place is easier than ever, and so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom, and you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together, but you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com the place to find a pet-friendly place. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie dot com. That's A N G I dot com. Gabe tried to hold on to the memory, but a sharp pain struck his mind and shattered his thoughts like a rock hitting weakened glass. Something had happened on that beach. He needed to remember what. He knew that the memory was important, yet whenever he tried to reconstruct the events, another surge of pain broke it apart again. Images of Shelley and their child that morning lit up in his mind like flashbang grenades. Bright and vivid, but at the same time agonizing and disorienting. Fuck! He shouted to the rock walls. The echoes cursed back at him. Gabe slowly returned to his feet, but the act punished both his muscles and his bones. From head to toe, his body felt like it had been beaten by a large, blunt force weapon. Beaten so brutally that his mind had chosen to erase all memory of the attack in order to keep his sanity intact. But who had done the deed, and where was his attacker? Gabe wanted to know, but at the same time feared the answer. There was a spot in the far corner of the stone room, directly to the right of the wooden door, where the column of light failed to fully penetrate the darkness. Something suddenly drew Gabe's attention to that spot. Movement. It appeared as if the shadow itself had shifted, or maybe something within the blackness had changed positions. Maybe it was his imagination, or at least that was what Gabe was trying to convince himself of when something stepped forward from the shadowy corner. The creature was a mixture of body and smoke. Gray from top to bottom, except for a pair of glowing red eyes and tattered white rags that hung off its body. Its flesh was the color of ash, and its long, wild hair was a darker shade of the same color. The smoke was what mostly drew Gabe's attention. It was like an aura that consistently rose from the creature's body, thin puffs rising as if from a campfire before disappearing a few inches in the air. It was all very strange and somewhat hypnotizing to look at. As the creature rushed across the floor, slapping the dirt with its bare feet, Gabe was struck by the stench of grime and sulfur. He jerked backward, but in a blink, the gray creature was in front of him, its red eyes staring him down. It was the same height as Gabe and met him eye to eye. The maroon that filled the creature's eye sockets reminded Gabe of the nosebleeds he used to get as a young child. The fresh, flowing blood was always vibrant, almost neon in color. There was hate in the creature's eyes as well. It loathed him. Like the aura of smoke, Gabe could feel hatred emanating from every part of it. Being that close to the creature allowed Gabe to see fissures and cracks running along and across its gray flesh, some deep, some shallow, some thin, and some gaping. Like when someone drops a ceramic plate and cracks form like spider webs, but the plate doesn't fully break apart. There was an especially deep crack that ran down the length of the creature's face, starting from its forehead and falling to its chin. That specific crack was so deep and profound that it seemed as if the creature had two separate faces. Within the crack, Gabe could see a deep black ooze, thick and crude like dirty oil from a car engine. You are here with us, the creature hissed. Its breath smelled like rot and decay. You will never be free of us. 
suddenly, the creature lashed out, raking sharp, jagged fingernails across the right side of Gabe's face, tearing open four long gashes into his skin. One of the fingernails sunk clean through his cheek and into his mouth, forcing meaty chunks of flesh through the gaping wound. The pain of his face ripping open was sharp and intense. As Gabe retreated backward from the attack, his shackled hands raised in defense, the creature remained in front of him until eventually Gabe's back struck the rock wall of the cave. The thud of his bare back hitting the cave wall reminded Gabe of something, something from that morning. It wasn't the exact sound, but close. Something hitting against rocks. Gabe should have put Roscoe on a leash that morning, but while rushing from his house and his screaming child, he hadn't even considered it. And as Gabe watched the dog rush off toward whatever had grabbed the little guy's attention, high-pitched barks filling the morning air, he immediately regretted the oversight. Roscoe was a good dog, though. Like most small dogs, Roscoe pretended to be brave and ferocious, but in the end would be too scared to venture very far from Gabe's protection. Twenty yards or so up the beach, Gabe could faintly see his dog, who had halted at whatever had drawn him away from his owner. Gabe squinted as he jogged toward the dog, but the sun was only a thin sliver on the horizon and there wasn't enough light for him to yet see what Roscoe had found. Joining his dog, Gabe came upon what initially appeared to be trash scattered across a large area of sand. Had someone dumped their garbage? It wasn't unheard of, but it only took him a moment to realize what the site actually was. Large fragments of torn, twisted metal, wooden boards broken and scattered, pieces of glass and plastic. Taking his eyes from the wreckage, Gabe peered out at the stretch of ocean and the rough waves that repeatedly slapped against a multitude of sharp, jagged rocks rising in the distance. The peaks of those dangerous rocks went on for miles in all directions. There was a reason why swimming, surfing, and boating were forbidden in that area. It was far too dangerous. Shaking his head, Gabe had deadly scenarios play out in his mind. A boat, fishing or leisure, had come that way by accident or stupidity. Maybe they hadn't seen the danger in time, or maybe they were too confident and arrogant to see it for what it was. Either way, once the rock had its grip on them, there would be no turning back. No escape. What the hell had a boat been doing out there? As the questions plagued Gabe, a series of frantic barks from Roscoe pulled his attention back to the beach. He couldn't immediately see the dog, but followed the barking to the other side of a large piece of contorted metal. Behind the destroyed section of the boat, Gabe found the bodies of two young men lying unexpectedly at his feet, both stiff and dead. His hand went to his mouth to stifle a shriek. How long had these men been here? Not long, Gabe figured, because their clothes were still somewhat damp after having been in the water for who knows how long. The bodies of the two young men were grotesquely battered and contorted, and Gabe hoped that they had been lucky enough to drown before they were repeatedly bashed against the rocks. Damn it! The dog leash hadn't been the only thing he had forgotten whenever he had fled from his wonderful family. He had left his cell phone behind as well. He needed to report this to the authorities, but before he could run back for a phone, a splash of color stopped him in his tracks. Red, vibrant, almost neon. Even in the dim lighting of the still-waking morning, Gabe could see the bright color, which was a great contrast to everything else. One of the two men held it in his hand, grasped tightly in a firm death grip. Stooping down, Gabe took a closer look and found... and found... The creature was no longer hissing. It was screaming at Gabe. 
You will not leave us. You will not be free of us. As it continued to claw frantically at his face, neck, and whatever other areas of flesh it could rip open, blood and bits of skin ran freely down his naked body. Terrified and desperate, Gabe pressed his back into the rock wall harder and harder, hoping that the wall would magically disappear and he would have a way to escape this horrific entity. But the wall remained solid, and Gabe remained a prisoner. Maybe he couldn't run, but maybe he could fight. But how? With his hands still shackled together? That was when the creature unexpectedly stopped its attack and took two steps back from Gabe, creating a slight gap between them. Yet the moment that Gabe eased his weight from off the wall, the creature lunged again and shoved him back against the rocks. The impact stole Gabe's breath and caused his legs to give out. As he crumbled downward onto one knee, Gabe both heard and felt several stones somehow coming free of the wall and falling onto the dirt floor next to him. Acting out on instinct, Gabe grabbed for the fallen rocks. Taking the largest one into his bound hands, he leapt to his feet and charged the creature. He struck it in the head with the rock. Once, twice, again, and again. He heard bones snapping beneath the onslaught. Even when the creature fell backward and landed in the dirt, Gabe climbed on top of it and continued to pummel its head. The deep crevice that once perfectly split the length of its face fractured and grew, becoming a massive web of cracks and breaks. Dark, crude oil spilled from the destruction, and the stench of it was like nothing Gabe had ever smelled. It was putrid, like a mixture of infection and feces, and he couldn't keep himself from vomiting. Quickly, he leaned off to the side, away from the creature's body, and released yellow and green bile into the dirt. After he was done throwing up, his muscles still clenched tight, Gabe let out a primal scream that filled the cave with an onslaught of echoes. But even when the echoes of his own voice died away, he could still hear voices screaming. Other people... Other people shrieking and wailing from somewhere beyond the wooden door. Other prisoners most likely trapped, shackled, and chained, as he was. As the other screams filled his cave, Gabe's eyes shifted to the large rock that he still clenched in his fist. But it wasn't gray, like in the walls around him, like what should be expected. There were smears of black oil spattered across its surface, but underneath, it was... It was... Bright red, like the blood of a freshly opened vein. Without consciously deciding to do it, Gabe leaned down and took the strange stone from the dead man's hand. It wasn't like anything he had ever seen before. It was an oval, almost like an egg, larger than a baseball but smaller than a football. The red of it was so bright it was almost glowing, and the surface was smooth, nearly flawless, except for splotches of dark, wet sand and strange symbols that were carved into it. But the red, like blood, that was what kept pulling at his thoughts. The red, like blood... There was bright blood everywhere. Gabe stood over the dead form of the creature that had imprisoned him. The smooth stone still clutched tight. Her head was smashed and crushed beyond recognition. Red splotches were scattered all through her yellow hair and across her white nightgown. Cracks and crevices disfigured the once young and beautiful face. A barking dog drew his attention. Roscoe was in the room's doorway and yapping frantically, but another noise immediately grabbed Gabe away from his dog. You will never leave us. Gabe jerked his head toward the words, toward the voice, toward 
the small crib in the corner. You will never leave us. Walking over to the crib, Gabe peered down into it before raising the stone high above his head. You've been listening to Shackled and Chained by Jackson Arthur. And now, to close out our evening, I present The Legend of Cold Rock Keep by J.G. Martin. The island was nothing without the lighthouse. It was the defining feature, a stone monolith rising out of the earth like a haunted spire, sweeping its glowing gaze out across the rage of the Atlantic Ocean. Cold Rock Keep was different from other lighthouses, though. Cold Rock Keep had a body count. Ever since anybody could remember, the island had been a haunted affair, a cursed place where ships went to die. The legend went that once upon a time, way back when the town was first erected and God knows when, there lived a coven of witches upon Cold Rock. They practiced their craft there because they thought the ocean would keep them safe. And it did. For a time. But like any old story, the players eventually disappear, and so too was the case with the witches. They died off, or were killed. Who can say? History has a funny way of forgetting itself. Whatever the case was, the shipwrecks didn't let up, and so a lighthouse was built on the island to warn ships away from its serrated shores. That lighthouse, though, didn't seem to help matters one bit. In fact, after it was built, the deaths just went up and up, and soon the jagged coastline of Cold Rock was filled with the corpses of shattered vessels. It didn't take long for the townsfolk to come to an agreement that the island was cursed, and the lighthouse had somehow become a conduit for evil. After that, folks started avoiding Cold Rock. Local folks, at least. They knew better, because their mothers and fathers knew better, and their mothers and fathers had known better before them. They passed down the warnings and bedtime stories or cautionary tales before trips to the sea. Don't drift too close to the lighthouse, they'd say, unless you want the ocean to gobble you up. My brother often told me the same. A fisherman by trade, George was the captain of a small ship called the Trout's Kiss. It didn't belong to him, it belonged to the company he worked for, but it really should have. He could drive that boat through a hurricane and make it out the other side. Everybody knew it. He wasn't afraid of anything in all the ocean, save for that damn lighthouse, and he'd tell you the same. I'd sooner row a skiff through a storm, he'd say, a pint of beer in his hand, than drift the trout's kiss past cold rock. That was then, though. He died three days after my ninth birthday, capsized. His boat tossed him and his first mate overboard and the trout's kiss smashed into a thousand pieces against the cold rock coast. I went to bed, and my brother was alive. When I woke up, he was dead. No goodbyes. No last words. Just gone. It was the moment I realized the legend of cold rock keep wasn't just a myth. It was the moment I realized it was the truest story ever spoken. See, my brother was a superstitious man, a good sailor. There was no way he'd find himself near those rocks if not for some darkness pulling him there, and maybe that same darkness had been pulling me, or maybe it was just my childhood grief. But not a week after his funeral, I went down to the docks and untied his skiff, and then I rowed it out into the harbor. I rowed it out toward Cold Rock Keep. Too long, I decided, had that towering mausoleum lorded itself over our gentle town. Too long had it stolen our loved ones and filled them with the sea. It was time somebody did something about it, and in that moment, on that brisk summer night, 
I decided that somebody would be me. So I set off toward the sweeping beacon that haunted the ocean like a ghost in the dark. I rowed and rowed until I got close enough that rowing didn't do much anymore because the ocean became all rolling waves and riptide currents. I remember feeling panicked, like I'd made a grave mistake, an impulsive decision that I was now going to sorely regret as I tossed and churned in the soup of the sea. First, I lost one oar, then the other. Then the boat tipped over like a rubber duck in the bath, and the looming figure of the lighthouse vanished. Darkness took me. Frigid, wet darkness. When I came to, I spat out a river of seawater. Trembling and disoriented, I gathered my bearings. Surrounding me was a mess of wood, the remnants of my little skiff or some other sorry vessel. Not ten feet away, great waves thundered against razor-blade rocks, jutting out of the coastline like the jaws of a shark while their sea spray washed over me, reminding me where I was. I rolled onto my back. There, towering above like a titan of myth, loomed Cold Rock Keep. Its spiral architecture reached up into the moonlit clouds while its yellow light swept in a hypnotizing circle humming an electric tune. It felt like it was calling to me, beckoning me toward its heavy doors. I pulled myself to my feet and realized I'd come all this way without much of a plan. In retrospect, I wondered if I ever truly meant to make it there at all. Perhaps I'd been so sick with grief that I was hoping that the ocean would simply swallow me up in the same place it had swallowed George, and then it would let us be together again. Perhaps I just wanted an end to my misery. Whatever the case, I didn't have anywhere to go but forward now, and so I walked toward the lighthouse. As I did, I passed stone columns. Gravestones, I realized, carved with effigies for men whose stories I knew better than any nursery rhyme. Rupert Duggie, 1892 fell from the lighthouse while effecting repairs to the roof. Body inexplicably found thirty feet from the structure, torso split in half on the rocks, seagulls nesting in his ribcage. Howard Newton, 1903, died peacefully in his slumber. Haunted by vicious voices, took a liter of whiskey just to get himself to sleep every night. Found dead in his bed, partially decomposed, with his open journal in his hands. His last entry? I fear the ocean not half as much as I fear the malice in these walls. The lighthouse had always been monstrous. That much wasn't up for debate. Whether it smashed you on the rocks or drove you mad once you washed ashore, Cold Rock Keep would take what it wanted and leave the world more miserable for it. Now, I meant to change that. Little nine-year-old me, with nothing to defend himself but a sturdy rock and his brother's hand-me-down pocket knife. What choice did I have? At that moment, none. I was there, and there was no going back. Only forward. So I ascended the steps to Cold Rock Keep. When I opened the doors, I found old beer cans and nudie mags. The walls inside were dressed in graffiti, and the tables and chairs were chipped and carved with names and memories. A steel spiral staircase wound upwards, clutching the narrowing walls of the lighthouse. At the very top sat a hatch leading into the uppermost room. Something tugged at me then. Something pulled me toward it and I knew then that it was the room the light spun in lazy circles, tempting souls to their death. It was the source of all this misery. Heart thrumming, I took the stairs two at a time. When I reached the top, I found the hatch sealed shut. An old padlock hung off of it that read, Maintenance Key Number 1. While I didn't have the maintenance key... 
I did have a rock, and so I bashed the padlock clean off the hatch and pulled it open. Light blinded me. Vicious, vibrant light spilled out like an uncorked supernova. My ears filled with the whirring drone of whatever mechanism drove the artificial sun. Shielding my eyes, I clambered up the ladder leading into the hatch, one step, two steps, until I was in the room proper. And then something strange happened. Things became dim. I opened my eyes and found the blistering light gone. In its place was a faint glow, and even that was quickly fading, receding back into some great void until it was only a firefly speck in the distance. Then that too vanished. Darkness enveloped me. Not turn off the lights, it's bedtime darkness, but true darkness. The sort of darkness you find yourself in when you're six feet under, buried beneath the worms and the dirt. The sort of darkness that's so thick the pressure of it is almost suffocating. My hands scrambled across the surface, looking for the hatch I'd come through, but it was nowhere. Gone. I shouted and I hollered, cursing the lighthouse, cursing myself for being foolish enough to stroll onto Satan's doorstep with nothing but a rock and an old pocket knife. But predictably, that didn't solve my problem either. Eventually, out of options, I sat down in the void and cried. I cried for my mother, who would wake up tomorrow worried sick, wondering where I was calling me in as missing to the sheriff. They'd search and search and never find me, and she'd just tell them to search some more because there would be no way, no possible way, that she could go on living if she knew both of her babies were gone. I cried for my father, who was out of town on business and would no doubt blame himself for him always being away or abroad. And then maybe one day he'd get so fed up with all the guilt that he'd turn it around on my mother and tell her she should have been watching me better. Most of all, though, I cried for my brother. I cried for George because he had always told me to steer clear of Cold Rock Keep, and then he died to teach me that lesson. I decided I knew better than he did, though even though he was the fisherman and I was the stupid little brother, and I came out here looking for revenge, and all I managed to do was make things so much worse. Look at this one, a nasally voice said. He hasn't any light. I wheeled around, terror jolting through me. Who's there? He will join the others. The others? I shouted. You mean my brother? Give him time, Agatha. Came another voice, this one more shrill. Time? The first one snapped. He is here for violence. He is angry, desperate, and murderous, and would see us killed and our home burned to ashes. Don't you see? He has no light, Beatrice, and therefore the Creighton has no time. I scrambled backwards on instinct. It was difficult to pinpoint which direction the voices were coming from, but I was certain there were two of them. Don't be so dramatic, Aggie, the second voice said. Can't you see the source of that anger? It's his brother. He's been hollowed out by grief and filled up with pain. Oh, poor thing. You're them, I stammered, my mouth too dry to properly speak. You're the witches, aren't you? Agatha's nasally voice snickered. Oh, <laughs> look how perceptive the child is, Beatrice. I hardly think the world will miss a lightless dunce such as he. Let me do it now. I'll be quick about it. Hush, Agatha. Child, I sense a haunting in your soul, 
a longing for your brother. Do you miss him? The question made me furious. It was proof, I realized, that the witches knew about the murders they were committing, knew about the pain they were causing, and yet still chose to reap our community again and again. Tears welled in my eyes. Yes, I said, lips trembling. Yes, of course I miss him. Do you have any idea how many innocent folks you've gone and killed? Do you have any idea how many we've saved? Agatha's words caught me off guard. I tried to voice a response to her then, something well thought out and appropriately accusatory, but all I managed to do was stand there slack-jawed. See, Agatha? Look there. Near his chest. Please. That's hardly anything. Still well worth the purge. It's proof the child's got some light in him. That's what it is. Just about anybody's got some light in them. You bleeding heart. The situation was the most bizarre and unsettling thing I'd ever encountered. What do you mean, people you saved? What we mean, Agatha began somewhat impatiently is that Beatrice and I lived peacefully on Cold Rock Island for many, many years. We practiced the magic of the land, grew our crops, caught our fish. We didn't hurt anyone. But one night a vessel goes and lands on our shores, ties us up in the middle of the night, and burns our bodies in a pit. A pit! They drink for hours and hours after that. A real revel, exchanging high fives and how do you do's. Beatrice sighed. (sighs) They slept in our ashes. Not terribly hygienic, were they? Agatha said. Of course, we had seen their ship on the horizon already. Saw it getting loaded on the docks for some time. And so we knew what was coming our way. We took precautions. I took precautions, Beatrice said. You tried to beat them with a club. Must you always interrupt? I'm being kind enough to give this little cretin some context before we snip him. The least you could do is pipe down for his bedtime story. Agatha took a moment, and I could sense the two witches glaring at one another in the darkness. Anyway, dunce boy, where was I? Ah, yes, we made damn sure our murderers met an end that suited them. Sent them all into a rage, didn't we? (laughs) Made them chop each other up. (laughs) Poetic justice, you might say. Beatty and I figured we'd just go ahead and get rid of that bad luck before they infected anybody else with all that hatred. Then, wouldn't you know it, we found out that once you're dead, you're much more in tune with the spirits of the living. Learned, (laughs) learned we could measure the worth of a man from a thousand yards based on the size of his glow. (laughs) And often we did. We used our magic to lure the worst souls into the rocks, mangled them up so well, and saved folks the grief of dealing with them. I shook my head, stunned. So many ships crashed on those rocks. So many. You're telling me that everybody, all those sailors, were evil? (laughs) Not in the least, you sweet little fool. (laughs) Agatha said. We only killed the bad eggs. The rest of the folks washed up on shore and somebody came around for them. Eventually, 
Same goes for those lighthouse keepers. Most of them, anyhow. There was that one doing work on the roof before a storm. Poor sod got blown halfway across the island before making a mess on the rocks. Oh, Beatrice added. And there was Howie, the sweet man who liked to journal. I did so like him. Awfully handsome. <laughs> Howie? You mean, Howard? Agatha let loose a snort of laughter. <laughs> Poor lad was a smidge clairvoyant and never knew it. Said he heard voices, and I suspect he did. Overheard me and Aggie arguing till the break of dawn like a couple of braying donkeys. It's no wonder he drank himself to death. A shame. Yes, a shame. The man had great taste in whiskey. The void, once pitch black, grew brighter. It became bright enough that I could make out shapes flitting around me, formless like laundry in the wind. Oh, Agatha said, somewhat shocked. He can see us now, can he? Of course he can. Look at him. He's glowing, isn't he? A question lingered in my mind. Why is it that your magic became more powerful after the lighthouse was built? More powerful, Beatrice said, confusion lacing her words. Whatever do you mean? It's, it's just that the folks back in town always said there were more deaths after the lighthouse was built. Did it... did it help you kill folks? <laughs> Agatha laughed. The child's stupidity is beginning to grow on me, Betty. I'll give you that. No, you toad-brained fool. The lighthouse didn't make us any stronger or smarter or more devilishly beautiful than we already were. All it did was convince folks to come sailing into the harbor, since they figured what could it hurt with the lighthouse guiding them away from all that ails them. More sinners. More shipwrecks. Easy as that. Oh, I said. And another thought crossed my mind. As it did, the shapes slowly faded from view. My glow, I realized, was dimming, and the void was beginning to grow suffocating all over again. And my brother? Why did you kill him? Oh, Beatrice said, pausing. Well, we didn't kill your brother. Tears formed in my eyes, and I quickly dabbed them with my sleeve. What do you mean you didn't kill him? He died out there on those rocks! His boat capsized not a hundred yards away! Well... Beatrice said slowly. We had only ever intended for... Oh, heavens. Who was it? Reed Vallis, Agatha offered. Reed Vallis, Of course. Yes, we had only intended for that fellow. He was the first mate on the boat your brother captained. That man was an urchin, a rapist, a murderer. He was a stain on this town, and frankly, the world is much better off without him. I sucked in a breath. A sort of weepy, deep breath. The kind you take when you're beginning to calm down, but you're not quite ready to be done with being upset. Then why did you kill George? Don's child, Agatha said. Weren't you even listening? We just told you that we did not. Aggie! Beatrice snapped. Look at him. The boy is glowing again. Faint as it is, we should really be nurturing that light. Agatha mumbled something, sounding equal parts impatient and frustrated. Your brother was meant to wash safely ashore, child. Honest. Reed panicked after the trout's kiss capsized. And not wearing a life vest, grabbed onto your brother to save his own skin. And ended up drowning, the both of them. The words washed over me like a winter tide. Cold. Painful. And you let Reed pull him down? You didn't try to help? 
How to explain this? Agatha said with a sigh. Our magic is less of a scalpel and more of a sledgehammer. Small incisions in destiny, like pulling your brother from Reed, proved impossible for us. Then you can bring him back? I said, desperate and heartbroken. Since he wasn't meant to die, I never even got a chance to say goodbye, and... No, Agatha said. We can't. It was exactly what I expected to hear, and yet it still hurt like the day he died. Are there many moments like that? I muttered, the light radiating from me flickering in the dark. Off and on, off and on. It was as though it couldn't decide whether it wanted to stay or go. Do many innocent people die because of the things you do? Silence filled the void. If the darkness had been thick and suffocating, then this silence was like the bottom of the ocean. It felt heavy, crushing. Sometimes, Beatrice said. Sometimes I suppose that innocent folks do get washed away. Is that okay? I asked, my tiny voice cracking under the weight of the question. It didn't feel okay to me. Why did innocent folks have to die so bad people could be punished? Should you really be doing that? Pity, Agatha said, and her voice was hushed. You're glowing. Oh, Beatrice said, and the formless shape of windy laundry sort of bent down as though examining itself. It appears I am. I'd almost forgotten what that felt like. <laughs> Why? Oh! <gasps> Look at you too, Wacky! She giggled. <laughs> I can almost see your icy heart with all that light. True to Beatrice's words, the both of them were beginning to radiate a faint glow. The shapes danced upward, bickering with one another in words I couldn't quite understand. They swirled and snapped and whipped above my head, until eventually they stopped and floated back down, now bright things. We've had it out, Aggie and I, and we've decided. You're right. I am, I said. Course you are, dunce boy, Agatha said. We got so wrapped up in keeping busy and trying to do good that we forgot to nurture the most important light of all. Our own. Beatrice snickered. <laughs> oh, look at you, Aggie. First you wanted to purge the poor child, and now you're doting on him. <laughs> well, that was before he started glowing like a candlestick, wasn't it? She's right, child, and so are you. It's become clear to us that we can't rightly keep helping other people if we're out of sorts. So, we're going to focus on us. Get back our light. You are, I said, feeling joy for the first time since Georgia died. The light surged inside of me. That means you won't hurt anybody else. Mm-hmm, Beatrice said. We'll leave the hurting to the folks still living and breathing, Agatha added. Which reminds me, we've done some hurting ourselves. Afraid that we have. Beatrice agreed. Just then, the two formless shapes began to materialize into something tangible, human. A pair of glowing corpses appeared before me, with flesh sloughing off their frames and boiling wounds upon their faces. One smiling, the other scowling. We know you didn't get a chance to say goodbye, which is partly our fault. It's all our fault, Agatha. And it's true that we can't bring George back, or take back what we took from you. So? Agatha said, rubbing her mangled hands together. We've decided to do one last bit of magic. You know, before we leave for good. Consider it a parting gift. Beatrice pulled me into a tight hug. 
It isn't much, child, but it's the best we can do. That was my last memory of the witches of Cold Rock Keep. I woke up in my bed with salt in my hair and seaweed down my shirt. My mother shrieked for joy when I did, and another man, a man I didn't recognize but would later learn was a doctor, told me I had been asleep for some 14 hours. The police, he explained, found me washed up on the shore. They'd thought I'd suffered a serious concussion, perhaps fallen into a coma. You slept like the dead, he told me. I told him that I felt fine and that I was sorry for causing such a stir, but that right now, more than anything, I needed a little space to get my head in order. Just five minutes, I said. My mother and the doctor voiced their concerns, but ultimately respected my wishes. They left the room. Alone, I went to my window. My house sat at the top of a hill and had a nice view of the town. From my perch, I looked out over a hundred sleepy homes. I looked out over a silent schoolyard, a rundown movie theater, and twenty or so boats bobbing at the dock. Then, I looked past that. I looked out to the sea, to a little island with a stone spire. I looked out to Cold Rock Keep, and quiet as a breath, I said thank you. Thank you for everything. You see, dreams are strange things. Sometimes a dream is merely a vignette, a slice of time so infinitesimally small that you wonder if it was ever there at all. Other times dreams are sweeping, so long and so vast that you live a second life inside of them. That night, my dream had been longer and more real than any dream I'd ever had. It spanned years, decades. In that dream, I played catch, traveled the world, shared pints of beer, and did lots and lots of fishing. In that dream, I said goodbye to my brother. You've just heard The Legend of Cold Rock Keep by J.G. Martin. Well, dear listeners, that concludes tonight's show. It's sometimes nice to end on a positive note, with one of our heroes finding peace and contentment. So often they just end up in pieces, both physically and mentally. Ah, how refreshing. I'd like to thank Jackson Arthur and J.G. Martin for providing tonight's tales, and I'd like to mention that both of those stories, and many others, are available over at Velux Books, www.veloxbooks.com. Also, extra thanks to Rissa Montañez for her lovely voice acting, and thanks to you, my friends, for joining me. I'll be back next week with more tales to send a chill up your spine. And in the meantime, stay spooky. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Tonight's episode was hosted and narrated by yours truly, Eric Peabody. Original music provided by Eric Peabody and Nikki McSorley. Finalization by Eric Peabody and Craig Groshek. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? Email it to us at natalie at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your work considered for future production. Seeing as how we're all living in a technological nightmare of our own devising, I'll ask you to follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on social media and upvote, subscribe, and hit the bell notification icon if you're listening to this on YouTube. Not only will you have appeased the dark gods of cyberspace, but you'll be kept in the loop as we prepare more terrifying content. If you'd like access to uninterrupted horror, free of ads and these annoying bookend segments, might I recommend becoming a patron? 
you'll get access to hundreds of episodes of this show, as well as everything from the other programs in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights cabal. That means all of Otis Jiry's scary stories told in the dark, Drew Blood's dark tales, Paul J. McSorley's Fear from the Heartland, and more. It's a veritable smorgasbord of horrific delights. As for me personally, I'm on most social media as Viking Guitar or Viking Guitar Productions. I'm always on the lookout for new stories to narrate and new music projects to mix or master. If that's of interest to you, feel free to reach out and we can talk turkey. Also, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.